welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee, with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. For he hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Ladies and gentlemen, that's in the book. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. To this generation that's seated right here in front of me, thank God for these young children. They, they've got it. They have something in their hearts. And I praise God for it. I praise God for parents will bring their children into church on Sunday night, all dressed up, looking good, smiling, wonderful time. Thank God for mothers. We searched the world for truth. We called the good, the true, the beautiful from graven stone and written scroll and all old flower fields of the soul and weary seekers of the best. We come home laden from our quest to find that all the sages said is in the book our mothers read. Thank God for the Bible. 
Well, it's a joy to be back tonight. We'll call that ordination council. I'll lead the way to, to ordain my wife. I've been wanting to get that done for a long time. You know, some exciting things I'm sure are happening over on Congress Avenue, the State House. But I want to tell you, nothing over there is exciting as what we have right here. And everything over there is temporal. And this is eternal. Let me express again my appreciation for your having us back again this year. And we look forward again to next year and the next year as the Lord tears His coming till I get to be at least a hundred. And then I'll let my wife come and preach for you. Open your... Oh, by the way, did I tell you when we open the Bible, the Bible opens the mind of God? Let's see what God's thinking about in the Gospel according to Luke. Chapter number 18. As you're finding your place in the 18th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, I would remind you again that as sure as night follows day and day follows night, God still lives and the Bible is right. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass, the grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And right here on this earth, it's settled in this book of 66 books, 1,189 chapters, more than 34,000 verses, more than 700,000 words, and all of them inspired of God. Breathed of God. What a wonderful book. I'm glad we have it, and I'm going to read from Luke's Gospel, chapter number 18, beginning at verse number 9, and I shall read down through verse number 14. And I'll read these verses after we pause in a moment of prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we do pause to thank Thee for what we've already experienced in this house tonight. Your blessings have already been manifest. Your goodness has already been demonstrated. Your love and mercy and kindness and the joys of music that thrills our heart, the joys of music that sets our souls afire, I pray tonight that we might be stilled before Thee, that we might reckon with the fact that we are in Thy house, and the Bible is Thy book, Jesus is Thy Son, and we are Thy people. And should there be among us tonight any that would be without Christ, may they come to know Him. And for every person in this room tonight, I ask a special blessing and benediction and benefit and even a bonus 
from these words from the lips of our Lord. In His name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Luke chapter number 18 at verse number 9. And He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not so much, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Ladies and gentlemen, this story as told by Jesus begins with a statement that I must confess to you impresses me greatly. It intrigues me. It interests me. It encourages me. I hope it will do the same for you. I want you to listen to it again. Jesus said, two men went up into the temple to pray. Underscore that word pray. Thank God for the privilege of prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. What is prayer anyhow? Prayer is communion with God. And I hasten to tell you that prayer is not a monologue. It's a dialogue. We speak to God, and God speaks to us. In an audible voice, absolutely not. God has already spoken in His Word. His Word is full and final and complete. He speaks to us through the Scripture. When you have a need, a burden, a heartache, a problem, you go to God with it, and the Holy Spirit directs you to a passage of Scripture that encourages you, enhances you, enriches your life, and helps you to see where you are and what you're doing, where you're going, and how you're going to get there. Now, God is not speaking audibly to people today. God is not speaking in deep, dark visions in the night. If you have a deep, dark vision tonight, it'll be because you ate too much pizza before you went to bed. God has spoken, and God has spoken to us in His Word. You know, prayer is so important for every believer. I want to recommend that you begin every morning in prayer to God. How dare any of us start out on a new day without seeking God's advice, God's wisdom, God's counsel, God's understanding, God's direction, God's guidance, and God's help. 
And the best time to do it, ladies and gentlemen, is in the morning, before the wires of life are lifted off the ground and become entangled in a thousand other things that you're going to meet that day. I met God in the morning and when my day was at its best. And His presence came like sunrise, like a glory in my breast. All day long the presence lingered. All day long He stayed with me. And we sailed with perfect calmness or a very troubled sea. Other ships were blown and battered. Other ships were sore distressed. But the winds that seemed to drive them brought to us a peace and rest. Then I thought of other mornings with a keen remorse of mind when I too had loosed the moorings with His presence left behind. So I think I know the secret learned through many a troubled way. You must meet Him in the morning if you want Him through the day. Ladies and gentlemen, if you read through the New Testament, you'll discover that the disciples never, never asked Jesus to teach them to preach or to sing or to witness or to give. Not that these things aren't important. Don't misunderstand me. The only thing they ever asked Jesus to teach them was to pray. Luke 11, 1, Lord, teach us to pray. Not how to pray, not when to pray, not how long to pray, not what to pray. Just, Lord, teach us to pray. You see, ladies and gentlemen, prayer is the hand that moves the universe. And I should tell you that when it's hardest to pray, you should pray hardest. For you see, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. Whisper a prayer in the morning. Whisper a prayer at noon. Whisper a prayer in the evening to keep your heart in tune. Jesus may come in the morning. Jesus may come at noon. Jesus may come in the evening. So keep your heart in tune. You know already that prayer changes things and people. By the way, do you have anybody in your circle that you just don't get along too well with? I don't want you to say they're my enemy, but they may be. You're antagonistic. You're one who just kind of frets you and worries you and bothers you, and you cross the street when you see them coming down on the other side, and you just, you just can't get... You know what you need to do for that person? Criticize them all you can to everybody who will listen to you. Shun them. Smother them. Turn them over to the depth. No, no, no. Do what Jesus said. I want to quote Jesus again. Now, I love to quote Jesus. In Matthew 5, 43 and 44, Jesus said, You have heard that it has been said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say unto you, Love your enemies. Notice he put an S on it. He knew there would be more than one. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Now listen. Your prayers for that person may not, as you can see it, change that person. But you know what? It'll change your attitude toward that person. By the way, that's probably the, the, the real problem anyhow. It's your stinking attitude. By the way, if I may put in a little commercial, I have a book back there that says, Don't Look Now, 
but your attitude is showing. Stop by the bookstore. I'm not a bookseller, but my wife, who is now ordained, can really take care of that for you. <laughs> Prayer makes the darkest cloud withdraw. Prayer climbs the ladder Jacob saw, gives exercise to faith and love, brings every blessing from above. Restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright, and Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. We sing, and rightly so, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, and then we're content to spend three minutes a day communing with God. That's rather hypocritical. Isn't it? Wouldn't you say? Did you ever stop to think why people go to church? Have you asked yourself recently why you go to church? Have you searched your motives? Some people go to church because it's somewhere to go. Some people go to church because it's out of habit. Some go to see who's going to be there. (laughs) Some go to see who's got a new outfit. Some go to hear the music, the choir sing. And believe it or not, Some people go to church to hear the pastor preach. That's encouraging, Brother Adam. It's evident that these two men, by the way, I'm not preaching yet. I'm still in my introduction. I'll let you know when I'm ready to preach. Some, as I said, go for various reasons, but these two men, it's very evident that these two men in my text went to church to pray. That's what Jesus said. First sentence in the story. Two men went up into the temple to pray. You know, I preach in small churches, medium-sized churches, large churches, up north, down south, out east, out west, everywhere. And I'm absolutely amazed how little time is devoted to prayer in the average worship service. Think it over. How much little time, how little time is spent in prayer. And you know, Jesus said, and I'm going to quote Jesus again. I love to quote Jesus. In Matthew 21, 13, Jesus said, My house shall be called the house of preaching. No, that's not what he said. My house shall be called the house of singing. No, that's not what he said. My house shall be called the house of Christian fellowship. That's not what he said. All of these things fit in, and they're good. But Jesus said, My house shall be called the house of prayer. Sadly enough, many churches have become nothing more than social clubs and entertainment centers. The most important place in, uh, uh, the most important spot in this house is right down there, that altar. That's where you pour out your heart to God. The old-timers used to call it the mourner's bench. How many of you remember that? I thought you were as old as I am. They called it the mourner's bench. Could I tell you that there's not much mourning going on in churches anymore today? A lot of criticism, a lot of complaint, a lot of gossip, a lot of idle talk, a lot of chattel, uh, uh, meaningless chatter, but not much mourning anymore. I feel we've lost the significance of the altar in many of our churches today. You know the first thing that Noah did when he came out of the ark? He built an altar unto the Lord. Abraham built altars wherever he went, whether it was Beersheba or Bethel 
or Hebron, or wherever he went, he was a man of the altar. He built altars unto the Lord. God said to Jacob, I like to quote God as well. He said in Genesis chapter 35 at verse 1, now listen, he said, Arise, go up to Bethel, and make there a memorial to your grandfather Abraham. That would have been a noble thing to do, but that's not what God said. God said, Arise, go up to Bethel, and build there an altar unto the Lord. That's what we need. You see, God is a God of the altar. And God wants His people to be people of the altar. God's altar is the most sacred spot on earth. I admonish parents wherever I go, keep your children close to the altar. It may save them from drugs. It may save them from alcohol. It may save them from sex. It may save them from prison. By the way, I need to tell you that the devil's number one target is not the government, not the school, not the church. It's your children. And his number one instrument, sit tight on this, are your safety belts fastened? The internet. I call it the devil's dragnet. He's dragging people to the cesspool of sin through his internet. Be careful, parents. Know what they're watching, what they're twittering and texting and whatever else they do. I don't know what all they do. But watch it carefully. It's important that you know where your children are and what they are doing and with whom they're going and when they get back. Let me tell you tonight, my friends, the devil wants to gain over, control over the children of our day. For if he gets the children of this generation, the next generation will have no anchor, no hope. No scene on earth is more beautiful than a family, mother and dad and children, around an altar of prayer. Keep them close to the altar. Somehow God's presence seems more nearly real at the altar than anywhere else. I suggest that you try it for yourself and see. God meets with His people in the place of prayer. The poet wrote, No one has ever seen the wind, neither you nor I. But when trees are bowing down, we know the wind is passing by. No one has ever seen God, neither you nor I. But when heads are bowed down, we know the Lord is passing by. Why do people go to the altar? And by the way, I'm not preaching yet. I'm still in my introduction. I'll let you know. Why do people go to the altar? Some people go to the altar to ask God's forgiveness, to confess their sins. What a noble thing that is. And the best place you can do that is right here at the altar. If we confess our sins, John wrote in 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some people go to the altar to ask for God's strength. Wouldn't you agree with me in these harsh, difficult, trying, perilous times? When the road is long and the burden is heavy, we need strength from God. So we read in 1 Chronicles 16, 11, Seek the Lord and His strength. Some people go to the altar to seek God's guidance for daily direction. What a marvelous thing that is we need to do. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. 
Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Some go to thank God for his blessings. Hear me when I say it. There's not a person in this room who doesn't have some blessing to thank God for. In everything, in everything, give thanks. This is Thanksgiving season. And it's a wonderful time to gather and thank God for what He's done for us. Some go to the altar to pray for a loved one or a friend. Every person in this room has a loved one, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker that needs your prayers. And besides all that, it's a sin for you not to pray for them. Let me give you scriptural proof on that. 1 Samuel 12, 23. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. By the way, how's your prayer list these days? Have you added anyone to it lately? Is your prayer list longer than your grocery list? Is your prayer list longer than your Christmas shopping list? Is your prayer list longer than your to-do list? Just How is your prayer list? Add someone tonight when you go home. You can think of somebody that needs to be on your prayer list. That's plain to see that every one of us is standing in the need of the altar. Every one of us is standing in the need of prayer. And you may have guessed it, and that's my introduction, and now I'm ready to start preaching. Standing in the need of prayer. You and I can pray anytime, anywhere. But no place seems as effective as the house of prayer at the altar of prayer. Let's observe these two men that Jesus talked about. They have a great deal in common. They both were acknowledged by Jesus. They both went to the same place. They both went at the same time. They both went for the same reason. They both prayed to the same God. But that's where the similarity stops. You see, one was a failure, the other a success. Let's look first at the man who was a failure, the Pharisee. You know what? In reality, he wasted his time, in my opinion, praying. If you remember what he said in verse 11, what was said about him, he prayed with himself. I've been trying to figure out what that means. Maybe it meant he just loved to hear his own voice. I don't know. But he prayed within himself or with himself. Well, now, make no mistake about it. He was not a bad man. He was a pretty good fellow, if you can believe what he said about himself. (laughs) He said there in verse 12, Now, dear Lord, I'm glad that I'm not like all these sinners out here, these extortioners and unjust and adulterers, or even like this publican. I fast twice a week. I tithe of all that I possess. Ladies and gentlemen, no man could be altogether bad who tithes. By the way, it's ten minutes past seven. Do you know where your tithe is? What, giving again, I ask in dismay? Must I keep on giving and giving always? Oh, no, said the angel piercing me through. Just keep giving till he stops giving to you. And by the way, it's not what you'd do if riches were your lot. It's what you're doing with a dollar and a quarter you've got. Give God what's right and not what's left. And the kingdom of God cannot be built on leftovers. Well, some of you catch your breath now. You revive. Some of you fainted during that last part there, but you're coming through. 
Truth of the matter, he was very religious. He was well versed in the laws of Moses, but he was a failure in his prayer. You say, but why do you think he was a failure? Because he was conceited. He was arrogant. He was self-centered. He was proud. Again, listen to what he said. I'm glad I'm not like these fellows over here. I'm glad I'm not an extortioner, adulterer. I'm not unjust. I'm, I'm, I'm this. You know what? God turned him off right there. God tuned him out. Well, how do I know that? Well, James 4, 6 says, God resisteth the proud. And that word resisteth mean, means to withdraw from. This man, listen, he was a failure because he did not have an eye for God. His good eye was on himself. His bad eye was on the publican, which meant he had no eye at all left for God. He was a failure because he picked out a poor sinner to compare his life with. He wasn't praying at all. He was bragging on himself. He was telling God how good he was. By the way, don't try to impress God with how good you are. He knows better. Psalm 90 and verse 8 says, He set our iniquities before Him. And our secret sins, you know, those that nobody else knows about, may even be respectable sins in some cases our secret sins in the light of His countenance. I have some things I want to say to you, and I want you to listen very carefully. Remember, this man had his bad eye on the, on the publican, his good eye on himself, had no eye left for God. Now, here's something for you to think about. If you are as good a Christian as you want to be and should be, you don't need to come to the altar. If you are as kind as you should be, you don't need the altar. If you're as compassionate as you should be, you don't need to come to the altar. If you're spiritually strong as you should be, you don't need the altar. If you're as good a soul winner as you should be, you don't need to come to the altar. If you're as spiritually mature as you need to be, you don't need to come to the altar. If you are as close to God as you should be in your daily life, you don't need to come to the altar. If you have nothing to praise God for, you don't need the altar. If you have no more room in your heart for any more of God's love, you don't need to come to the altar. If you have caught up on your ties, you don't need to come to the altar. If you're as much like Jesus Christ as you should be, you don't need to come to the altar. If you have no sins to confess, you don't need to come to the altar. If you have no burdens or problems or heartaches or trials or difficulties or grief or sorrow or pain, you don't need to come to the altar. Well, did I hear someone say, but preacher, I, I just don't feel like I'm fit to talk to God. Well, congratulations, my friend. That's how you ought to feel. That's what you ought to say. That's what God wants you to say. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness He requireth is to feel your need of Him. Just tell God that you need Him. And He'll take up from there. 
I caution you, if you follow the same pattern in your prayer life as the Pharisee did, you will be a colossal failure in your prayer life. Now let's look at the second man that Jesus talks about. This publican. To say that a man was a publican meant that he was a notorious, out-and-out, self-confessed, full-fledged sinner. Did you notice he simply prayed a short prayer? By the way, a short prayer will reach the throne if you don't live too far away. Only seven words. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know what Jesus said about him? I'm going to quote Jesus again. Verse number 14. Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified. He went home from church as though he had never been a sinner. What a marvelous transformation took place in his life that day. He passed from death unto life. The burden of sin was lifted. His fears are gone. The peace of God fills his heart. The grace of God covers his sin. He was then and there saved and saved forever. He didn't lose his salvation on the way home. Nor will you. Paul climbed the summit of all New Testament revelation in in Romans chapter 8 when he asked, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or nakedness or famine or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things it is written, We are more than conquerors. Time out. More than conquerors? That's what he said. And Paul was a student of Old Testament history. He knew those conquerors. We are more than conquerors. More than Tiglath-Pileser? Yes. More than Tiglath-Pileser. More than Shalmaneser? Yes. More than Shalmaneser. More than Sennacherib? Yes. More than Sennacherib. More than Sargon? Yes. More than Sargon. More than Nebuchadnezzar? Yes. More than Nebuchadnezzar. More than Alexander the Great? Yes, more than Alexander the Great. More than the Caesars of Rome. Yes, more than the Caesars of Rome. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The publican was a wretched sinner, and he knew it. The truth of the matter is, we're all wretched sinners. The tragedy of it is, we're not all willing to admit it. We're all standing in the need of prayer. We all need the altar. Could I tell you the only place and the only way that you're going to win the battles that you're fighting in your life is at a place of prayer. He who, someone said, he who kneels before God can stand before any man. And if your back is against the wall, try your knees against the floor. Oh, by the way, I want to tell you about this wonderful jewel I discovered the other day. Wow. It, It sparkles like a diamond, shines like silver, glitters like gold. By the way, I didn't get it at an antique store either. And I didn't dig it up out of the ground. I dug it up out of God's gold mine. 
And it's Isaiah 58 and verse 9. Don't turn now, but just listen. I want you to listen to exactly what it says. Isaiah 58, 9 says, Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Did you get that? Then thou shalt call, and the Lord shall answer. But here's the good part. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. Wow! Can you believe the God of the universe? Omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, the God of creation, the God of the covenant, the God of the consummation of all things, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would say to you and me, wretched sinners, frail and fragile and weak and finite as we are, here I am. I'm at your disposal. Whatever you need, just ask me for it. And another verse that's almost as shiny as this is 65:24 in Isaiah. It shall come to pass that, watch this, before they call, I will answer. And while they're yet speaking, I will hear. Wow, what a God we serve. What an awesome God we serve. He has it all. And he wants to share it with you. Let's stand for our prayer, please. Heads are bowed. Altars open. Invitation has already begun. If you feel any inclination that you need prayer, you need the altar, I want you to step out of your seat right now. Don't wait on somebody else to come because somebody else may not come. I just want you to come. Find your place around the altar, a place to thank God for all his blessings in this Thanksgiving season. A place to ask God's direction and guidance for your life, for your little children, for your parents, for your husband, for your wife, for your family, for your business, for your church, for your pastor. Find a place to make known your need. Remember, he said, Here I am. He's available, ladies and gentlemen. And he wants to do something for you tonight. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for these precious ones that have made their way to the front. Some are kneeling at their place and in their hearts. I would believe that everybody's kneeling. I pray that you would answer prayers tonight, perform some miracles tonight, disturb the devil tonight, give victory in hearts and lives and minds of families, of husbands, of wives, of children of Grandma and Grandpa, of all of us tonight. We all need you tonight, Lord. We all are standing in the need of prayer. And I just pray that as a pastor comes to take charge of this invitation and close this service as you lead him to do so, I pray that we all might find a prayer, something that we can talk to you about, and know that you have said, Here I am. I am available. Thank you for your availability. In Jesus' name. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.